Hello, listeners. Yamina here. Welcome to the Dr. GPCR podcast. This episode is a special one because it's part of a series of interviews dedicated to celebrate Dr. Mark Caron, a giant and visionary in the GPCR field and beyond. In this episode, we talked to a panel of 11 guests who worked with Dr. Caron in some shape or form since the early 2000s. I also had the honor of working with Dr. Kathleen Caron, the daughter of Mark Caron, who is my co-host in this series of episodes. Before we dive into this discussion, we are thrilled to announce that our ecosystem is expanding and are thrilled to count Domain Therapeutics, GPCR Therapeutics, Design Pharmaceuticals, Montana Molecular, and Orion Biotechnology as our ecosystem partners in 2023. Become an ecosystem member yourself and join our partners and your colleagues today. The ecosystem is your GPCR-focused virtual playground. Join over 700 of your peers who had already started exploring, connecting, and collaborating better. You can explore the ecosystem by signing up and getting a free site membership. When ready, you can also get a premium membership to unlock the ecosystem's full benefits. If you'd like to register your team or company, or if you live in a developing country, please reach out to us by email at hello at drgpcr.com, and we'll be happy to help you join us. The list of benefits in the ecosystem is quite long. Today, we want to highlight that as a premium member, you can get in touch directly with your peers via chat in the ecosystem, discuss GPCRs in the forum, and even ask topic-specific questions in a dedicated group that you two can create directly in the ecosystem. Are you looking for your next career opportunity? Our job board is a GPCR-focused one where you can explore different opportunities, and if you're looking to hire, you can submit your own job description. Wondering what GPCR meeting to attend next? Check out the events page where we have curated the next GPCR meetings for you. In case you're organizing a meeting, fill out the event submission form and advertise your event in the ecosystem. Take advantage of everything that the new GPCR dedicated online playground has to offer today. Explore the possibilities by navigating the site using the direct links in the footer. Check it out today at hello at drgpcr.com slash ecosystem. And now let's dive into this episode. Hello, everyone. This is Yamina from Dr. GPCR, and today we are recording a very special episode. This is episode 102 of the Dr. GPCR podcast, and it is part of our tribute to Dr. Mark Caron, who passed away earlier this year. Or should I say earlier last year, because when this episode airs, we're going to be in 2023. I'd like to thank you all uh, for being here. Thank our guests for being here. And we're going to start out with a quick introduction from my co-host, Kathleen Caron. Uh, Kathleen, thank you so much for being my co-host today. So why don't we start off with a quick introduction as to who you are and you can pass on the baton. Yes, well, first and foremost, Yamina, thank you so much for all of your efforts in doing this. Um, it's a, a wonderful, heartfelt tribute. And on behalf of myself and my sister, Melissa, and my brother, Nelson, um, whose birthday is today, um, we'd just like to thank you and all of you who are joining us, um, you know, for, for paying this tribute to dad. Um, it, it means the world to us. Um, so I'll, I'll kick off the introductions. Um, and so we're going to mention who we are and, and where we are, and, and then when we first met uh, Mark. 
So I'm Kathleen Crone. I'm Mark's eldest daughter, uh, and I'm currently a professor and chair of the Cell Biology and Physiology Department at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. It's a large um, basic science department just down the street from, from Duke. Um, and uh, I first met Mark on July 17th, 1970, um, when I was born. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, you know, really loved being his, his daughter. Um, and so I'm going to go around uh, what I see on my Zoom screen and just call on the next person. So the next person on, that I can see is Bill Wetzel. Yeah, so uh, I am uh, I'm Bill Wetzel. I'm at uh, Duke University. I'm uh, in the Department of uh, Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences. And I also run the uh, Mouse Behavioral Phenotyping Corps. Uh, unfortunately, I was never a student of Mark, nor uh, was I a postdoc, but he and I were very close colleagues. And I can say that I learned a great deal from Mark and uh, he was my best friend at, at Duke. Thank so, you, Bill, Bill can you pick the next person, Bill? Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, so how about Vanya? I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm Vanya Pradu. Uh, I'm a professor at uh, Western University at, in London, Ontario. So when I met Mark, it was in, I think it was 1999, and it was in Brazil. He came to visit. And um, so we, I remember vividly, we were in a Brazilian restaurant having a nice food that he really enjoyed. And then we were talking about research and he said, well, you know, you should come to, to our lab. It's me, it was me, him and Marco that he's going to talk soon. And then he said, well, you should come to our lab and then we could uh, make a transgenic uh, a, a genetically modified animal and and would be wonderful so uh so mark was a great friend and you know like actually i i uh, it was family and not only him but the, everybody because uh, he took us to his home and then uh, we used to be with him, Pauline, and the kids, and the grandkids, and then it was fantastic. So we a lot. Thank you, Vanya. Please pick your next uh, next person to pass the baton to. Uh, let's go to Amy. Um, hi, I'm Amy Ramsey, and I'm at the University of Toronto. I first met Mark in 1998 when I was still a graduate student. And uh, we came to Mark to help us characterize a new mouse line that we had made. And working with Mark, we saw that this mouse could be useful as a model for, for schizophrenia, which we had never considered. So um, that was the beginning of uh, a long um, mentorship and um I was in his lab from 1999 until 2009 as a, a postdoctoral fellow. So I am going to pick Marco. Oh. <laughs> Amy, thank you. Uh, I'm Marco Prado, and as Vanya mentioned, we're both professors at the University of Western Ontario and in the Department of Physiology and Anatomy and Cell Biology. We also um, 
follow through on, on a lot of what we learned um, by years of uh, spending time with Mark, and we run a really large uh, core for Mao's work here at Western. Um, so, so Vern is right. We first met Mark in 1999 when we were still in Brazil, and we were uh, invited him to come for a talk. And, and he came several years, several times for talks mm -hmm. in Brazil. There's some stories behind it because in a couple of times he forgot that he needed to get a visa to go to Brazil, which involved me to get, um, you know, uh, contacts in the Foreign Affairs Ministry to to go to his house and and and, and get him the visa so he could make to Brazil in time. Uh, and 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 I, I remember very well not just the first time but all the times that we we spent together uh, in trips and and in meetings and and it, it's been such an influence in our lives and in fact we are just in Canada because Mark came to our labs in Brazil and looked at our labs and said really you can't stay here you got to move somewhere else that's not going to work for you guys and and that trigger us moving to Canada um, I'll tell more stories later Thank you, Marco. Uh, oh, Next. Maybe uh, I, I can pick Kafui. Hey, how you doing? I'm Kafui Drasa. I'm on faculty at Duke and an investigator at the Howard Hughes Medical Institute. I first met Mark in 2003 when I started in graduate school uh, in the Department of Neurobiology. And I never actually had the pleasure of officially being Mark's student. I just went to his lab meetings and then wouldn't leave. <laughs> and so I, somehow he eventually adopted me into the family. <laughs> I will call on Lauren. I'm Lauren Slosky. I'm a new assistant professor in the Department of Pharmacology at the University of Minnesota. And I first met Mark in 2015 when I came for a postdoc interview. It was the first and only postdoc interview I did. He offered me the position at the end of the day. I accepted and he and Larry were anxious to get someone in. And so we negotiated a 60 day period in which I would write up and defend a dissertation. And by the end of 2015, I was there. And I had the, I mean, honor really of being a postdoc in that group for almost exactly six years. I just left in the fall of 2021. And next up, can we go with Laura? Hi, yes, I'm Laura Bond. I'm a professor and chair of molecular medicine at Scripps, now University of Florida Scripps Research uh, Institute. Um, I met Mark also very much like Lauren. The first time I ever met him was at my postdoc interview, my one and only postdoc interview. <laughs> and I, it was funny because I remember, you know, I didn't really know how to gauge it, how it was going. And by the last day, um, he's, he and Pauline took me to ice cream and he said, so are you coming? I said, well, are you offering? <laughs> And so it was that was pretty much our negotiation over ice cream. So I was very happy to be in the lab from uh, 1999 to 2003. Thank you, Laura. Can you call on oh, someone else? Yes, I have to do that. So I'll call on Henrik. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Henrik Goldman. I'm a professor and chair in the Department of Pharmacology at the University of North Carolina. So I'm a colleague of Kathleen's. 
Uh, I think I've I've known Mark longer than I think anybody in this group, uh, except for Kathleen, and just barely. Uh, I joined joined the lab. I joined Bob Lefkowitz's lab as a graduate student in 1982, uh, and I stayed there. I stayed on for a year as a postdoc, so I was there from 1982 to 89. Um, and Mark was at that point transitioning from. Um, uh, he had been a postdoc with Bob and was transitioning to run his own lab. And and Mark was very much of the bench and very close to the, the, the science. And he played a very important role in my development as a scientist. We published 14 papers together, some of them good. Um, and uh, I'm uh, very eternally grateful to Mark for, uh, for what he has uh, done for me personally and professionally. Let's see. Ali, have you gone? I haven't, so I'll go. So, hi, everyone. So, my name is Ali Salapur. I'm also at University of Toronto uh, in the Department of Pharmacology and Toxicology. So, um, my pedigree is actually GPCRs. So, I knew about Mark's work coming through grad school. And the first time I saw him was he gave a talk at the University of Montreal, which is where I did my PhD in 97. And then I periodically saw him at the GPCR retreats, and it was a. It was actually he gave a, a keynote speak at a GPCR retreat, and that's what prompted me to apply to do a postdoc with him. So I was in Mark's lab from 2002, uh, end of 2002 till 2009, and um, you know it was tremendous for me because I was coming from a GPCR background, which is one facet of Mark's lab, and a lot of people in the GPCR field only knew about the GPCR stuff. And then I came and I learned about the neurobiology of the dopamine system and dopamine neurotransmission and learned about animals and mouse behavior. So that was a, um, a great training environment for me. It's uh, something that we have carried. And, uh, you know, a lot of people on this call are colleagues, mentors, uh, people that, uh, you know, we look up to. So it was amazing years with, uh, with Mark for sure. And I have also some other stories to tell, but uh, looking forward to this conversation. So I'm going to ask uh, Yasushi, with whom we overlap in Mark's lab, to go next, please. Yeah, uh, thank you, Ali. Um, my name is Yasushi Masuda, uh, calling from Japan, Faist. Uh, thank you for uh, Yamina for giving me this opportunity to join this uh, podcast. Um, I first met Mark um, in 2003 at Raleigh Durham International Airport, um, which when is the Christmas Eve. Um, <laughs> this was uh, written by Kathleen in the obituary in Neuron, um, who canceled the Christmas Eve uh, party of his families uh, for the first time and never happened uh, later. <laughs> so, I haven't known the importance of the Christmas Eve in the U.S., so I just uh, get the ticket um, the, only in the Christmas Eve um, to the Florida in, <laughs> International Airport. Um, Mark and Melissa um, um, met my family and me and hugged me and welcome to U.S. And then uh, Melissa and Cologne uh, Mark and um, take me. I uh, took me the weekly apartment, who uh, which was which uh, Mark um, um, had. Um, yeah, Mark um, has 
done very much um, many things for me and my family. And actually, I have three kids, uh, three daughters, um, who uh, Mark cared my um, kids are very well um, to get the um, U.S. very well. Um, yeah, um, actually, I first um, um, may see the so the name of the mark in 1986 or something uh, to see the all is his name um, next to the Bob's Bob's name. So I have been very interested in Mark, uh, who, why he is there. He was there for a long time. So this is why I. I chose the Mark's lab to how or who he was. So this was um, done by um, by visit uh, of 2004 as a visiting scientist. Um, that's all. Thank you very much. Yes, Sushi, you will be proud to know that every Christmas our family recalls your family, and we joke that we're canceling Christmas. <laughs> yeah. okay. so. So sorry, so sorry. I never imagined that. Oh, we we love it. Um, it's wonderful memories. So I think that last on our call, I believe, is Brian. Brian. Hello, everybody. Um, Brian Roth, uh, UNC Chapel Hill Department of Pharmacology. Um, I think the first time I ever met Mark was at a meeting in Italy in 1990 um it was a serotonin meeting and uh he had just cloned the first serotonin receptor uh the 5-ht1a which was initially published as an orphan so um they got two nature papers out of that they got they got a paper for cloning the first orphan and then they got another paper saying that the orphan receptor is the 5-ht1a receptor <laughs> <laughs> Um, so most of, most of my, until I moved to Chapel Hill, I, I didn't actually know Mark, um, but I would run into him at meetings. Um, and, uh, he was, you know, as you all know, he's a superstar basically. And, uh, I was always, uh, you know, pretty much in awe of his work, um, I'll just give a couple of anecdotes. The first, uh, the first time I saw him give a talk when I was at Case Western, um, it was the first talk I ever I ever saw where people showed videos, and he showed videos of endocytosis, of receptor endocytosis, which was amazing uh, to see. And I remember about halfway through that it was some named lecture there. About halfway through the lecture, he uh, he took off his coat. Because he said he was getting overheated and overexcited, and <laughs> and then he switched into what we referred to as turbo corona mode, where he went through, you know, fifty slides in twenty minutes. <laughs> but it was it was like amazing, um, and I I had the chance to meet with him just briefly. Um, he you know he came around to visit. Uh, young assistant professors. 
And uh, the word of the advice he gave me was to publish in better journals. And um, I didn't, I didn't really know what he was talking about because I thought molecular pharmacology and JBC were fine, you know, always the journals I aspire to publish in. <laughs> and it wasn't in, it wasn't until many many years later that I finally figured out what he was saying. But um, uh, that's that's what I that's that's sort of my early remembrances of him. Thank you, Brian. So let's let's jump in. Ali, you had mentioned that you you well we we all know and I I kind of well I know where you come from from your PhD lab and you were one of my teachers at the time while you were in Michelle's lab and that's what got me into the field. But you mentioned that Mark not only contributed to the GPCR field but to the dopamine field. So my first question and Ali, I'm pointing at you, but the question is for everyone: How do you think? Mark influenced the GPCR field or the scientific field in general, and please feel free to to jump in. But we'll start with Ellie. So, so um, what what I would say is holistic science. That's that's the best way that I can um, say this. So, I knew all the arresting endocytosis, ERK pathways, all of that work. I knew it. I I read that literature, but I didn't read the dopamine transporter transmission and. You know, homest- I didn't read that. And then at, at this um, GPCR retreat, Mark gave a keynote last minute because one of the keynotes had canceled. And so they were looking at the meeting. They're like, who's going to replay? Okay, let's ask Mark. And he luckily he had slides in his suitcase because that's what he used to do. He would travel with his slides. So he gave a talk and it was a science paper in 99 from Raul's work, uh, former colleague of ours, on, on how the dopamine transporter, when you give them psychostimulants, they calm down. And I was sitting there. I was like, wow, they're giving drugs that are actually used in humans. They're getting an effect in these animals. It was a whole new world for me. And I had done, you know, five, six years with Michelle Bouvier, who was my PhD mentor. I wanted to do something else. And when I was in Mark's lab, it, you know, and we had, of course, data clubs with, you know, the Lefko lab and other labs. The amazing thing to me was how the science was holistic. And Mark I mean, maybe he told Brian to publish in better journals, but when we were trainees in the lab, he would say, just do good science, you know, just go do science and people would read it and cite it. You know, of course, we all, you know, push to to get publications in top journals. But um, what was the hardest for me as a scientist and Amy and I moved together. So, you know, many people know this, but we have we have moved together. But it was hard to start our own lab and not be able to do this holistic science with experts in everything and and if there was no local expertise mark would seek it out right so you know we have colleagues here on the call from other universities partially because mark would be like okay we need to do this okay let's call brian for example or oh this can be done by the wetzel lab or other people you know i i I have collaborators now that started in mark's lab former trainees sarah jones gary miller I I didn't know these guys because they were before me, but now they're friends and colleagues thanks to Mark because that's where the science was going and that's what we needed to do. So that's my perception of how Mark did science. Amazing, holistic, full science from A to Z, which is not easy to do, even in 2022. So that's my thought. 
Kathleen, you had an interesting comment in in the first episode. I think it's worth repeating what you had just what you had said. Um, yeah, yeah and I, I think Ali started to to touch upon that. I I think for me, um, you know, it, separating myself as a scientist and just looking at at what Dad did, right? Um, this is what he did, right? It's the people on this call and it's the hundreds of trainees and, and the influence on a personal level um, of the success of scientists. You know, so, so many lives have been touched and so much, you know, positive support of scientists um, all over the globe. And, and so to me, uh, it's it's not about a receptor that was cloned or purified or a transporter or beta arrested, those are molecules and those are great. But I know that dad would say the most important are the people um, that, that he's supported. And so, yeah, so that, that to me, that's his biggest influence on the field, the, the long lasting influence of training many, many generations of wonderful scientists. Thank you for that. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll say, un, unlike Ali, I never left. I, I wasn't kidding. I sort of showed up at lab meeting in 2003 and then like literally never left. <laughs> so I finished my MD, PhD, and then Mark became my official mentor um, in my transition to faculty. And he's like, you know, you need more mentors. So he called Brian and told me to go hang out with Brian, you know, every week at his lab meeting too. And then when he was finally like, I'm not sure you need a faculty mentor anymore. He like started mentoring my students. Right? So we had like a joint grad student and he's on thesis committees. And so for me, like, I mean, capturing this idea of his investment in people, he was always like, let's do some cool stuff together, right? And bring all of yourself into that, bring all of everything you come in with, and let's do some cool stuff together. And certainly the stuff we were doing in 2003 evolved to the stuff, you know, we were doing later, but it was always like the experience of just doing cool stuff together. Lauren, I see you saying yes. Maybe you want to chime in. Say Laura or Lauren? Lauren, but anyone yes. can chime in. Please feel free to do so. Everyone is very, um, I know you're taking turns. You don't have to just turn on your camera or your mic and uh, chime in. I was just going to wholeheartedly agree both what was said about this holistic science and also about, I mean, the major product being this community of people that wouldn't be together if not for Mark. And just having gone through or in the process of going through this experience of starting a lab, I appreciate more than ever how difficult it is to do these different independent lines of investigation where you're trying to do signal transduction in cells and behavioral pharmacology in animals and run a genetically modified mouse colony. It's just so impressive. And the fact that he was able to prioritize people and ask everyone to just show up and bring your whole self and bring your ideas. I just, I appreciate every day what a phenomenal training experience that was. And yeah. So I'm going to not just agree and with this, but also chime in and, and thinking that his probably his biggest influence is not just that the trained a whole bunch of us or, or, or collaborated with a whole bunch of us, but he also set an example that is really hard to follow for all of us. And I think to me, that's one of the biggest contribution, whatever meeting he was, you know, and I had 
to be with him in meetings in Brazil with people that were not doing science that got published in Nature or or or, or uh, Neuro or Cell, but he would give the time of the day for anybody that was there to to tell them uh, to tell him uh, their story. So he was a listener. You know, I actually, uh, you know, even after we moved to Canada, I used to call him every month and chat with him for 20 minutes and just kind of, you know, check in and, and learn what was going on and, you know, tell him what was going on with, with us as well. So so that example of, of kindness, of uh, being a gentleman and, and, and the more pure way of the word, really, you know, being this person that is always there for everybody. I think that's the biggest influence that I see that he has had in science, because, I, you know, whoever thinks of themselves as a good scientist cannot think of themselves as a good scientist if they don't really try to follow that example. So that to me is is one of the major points of, of having track with Mark over the years. So so I sort of wanted to follow up on that. And so I would go up and talk to Mark and we'd discuss experiments. And so then he would think of one of you. And so he'd say, you know, I've got to call Amy or I've got to call Ali or I've got to call Marco and I've got to discuss an experiment or, you know, I, I need some help on something. So I'm going to call them. And so he was always really supportive of all of the people that he had. And he followed up with everybody. He was also a team player here at Duke. I mean, he always volunteered for different types of of committees and different types of things. And he was always concerned with trying to help students actually in other labs, as as Kopp has indicated. Uh, he, uh, you know, he was a he was a big uh, proponent of supporting people. He supported me and several times by uh, by by telling me to call a couple of pharmaceutical companies. So then I was able then to be able to get uh, different types of grants from them and actually uh, work on some uh, very interesting uh, uh, compounds. In, in, in addition, every afternoon or every morning, he would also call his wife, Pauline, and they would sit there and chat together, you know, in French. And, you know, they, they, they would converse uh, for quite some time. And he would always be, you know, catching up with each other. Uh, and, and a final thing I'll sort of tell a little story is that <clears throat> Mark was not the most organized person in the world. And so, uh, I would like go to a meeting and so I'd be at the meeting and, you know, checked into my hotel and I'd run into Mark and Mark would say, Hey, Bill, can I stay with you? I don't have a room. And so, <clears throat> You know, usually I would have already prepared for this so that I would have gotten like, you know, twin beds or something like that. But he, he would just show up and and then we'd, we'd have a room together. And so one time I actually uh, he, he, he decided to plan ahead. And so, you know, Mark always looked for the, the cheapest place to stay. And so I, I found this inexpensive hotel it was in Washington, D.C., and it looked really good. And it was not very far from the convention center. And so I booked, you know, a room for him and a room for me. So so we showed up and it ended up that the building was under construction. And so it's like, uh, you know, you'd walk down the hall and it was like, you know, 
uh, you you could see the two by fours and there was no carpet and you had to go down to the to the main floor actually to use the internet and so we were sitting down there together using the internet but I mean that's that's sort of the way Mark was and sort of the way in which you know you would travel with him it was always an experience and and one final thing I want to say about the compassion of Mark was that he was at a scientific meeting. And one of the speakers collapsed. And so Mark went with him to the hospital and he stayed there with the person for a couple of days to make sure that he would be okay. He rearranged his flights and everything. And so he came back after a few days from that. And so I just wanted to leave you with, you know, some of these non-scientific uh, type of memories that I experienced with him. I have many scientific memories also, but I think these were very special. Thank you. Thank you for sharing, Bill. Anyone else wants to chime in? Well, I I love the story about the hotel because I remember some of those. <laughs> I think we were at the same meeting. I remember this happening. Um, and the... He was like this with flights, too. He would make me so nervous because I am somebody who gets to the airport with plenty of time. And, you know, I like to be all checked in. And we'd be sitting in the office talking and I'd be, Mark, do you have a flight? Oh, yeah. In like 45 minutes. Mark, go. <laughs> so always kind of cutting it real close there. Yeah, he, he traveled so much, you know, at one point he had an executive assistant and it, it was kind of a joke between my mother and I, you know, to call her first to figure out if he was on a plane or not. You know, it, it's just it, it was kind of 50 percent shot whether he'd be in, in the air or, or on the ground. Um, and, you know, another, I think, charming thing, if you traveled with him, you you know, this is true. He knew all of the people at the airport by first name. Right. So the staff members at the American Airlines desk, they know him, you know, and, and I know this because I once traveled and I had my passport and they opened my passport. Oh, you're Mark's daughter. Hi. <laughs> so, you know, it's uh, it's really remarkable uh, how much travel he did in his career. Um, and, uh, and and he loved it. You know, he, I mean, we all complain about delayed flights and lost luggage, but. But I think he loved it because he was really connecting the world of science. And, and I, nothing he loved more than doing that. Yeah. And, and, and I, he loved to travel. Uh, just going to say he loved to travel just with a carry on, as most of yes. us do. Right. But one of the memories that when he went the first time in Brazil and he discovered that there was a lot of uh, soapstone sculptures there in Brazil, close to where we lived. And, you know, as you all know, he loved those. And I swear to God. I cannot understand up to this day how he managed to put so many soapstones, uh, sculptures, and, and pans and everything on that small suitcase. I could not believe that he was taking – I'm sure that he dropped all his clothes behind and just took the soapstones with him. Around travel, I, I wanted to – a quick little anecdote. I mean – it is remarkable that he came to a meeting and he had slides to fill in for a speaker, right? That's That already tells you how he's traveling. The other story that he told us is that he always traveled with his passport, right? So he never took a chance. And he was somewhere in the Northeast and the, the there was some issue with flying down to RDU from Northeast because of some storm. 
he went to the guys and said, route me through Toronto, Canada, because there there isn't direct flight between Toronto and RDU. And the guys are like, yeah, but you need a passport to go there. He's like, aha, I got my passport. So he actually did a re- tour around through Toronto to get home because he had his passport, right? So this is an individual who's ready to travel, right? Always like a carry-on passport, knows where he's going and probably slides just in case he has to drop and give a talk, you know? So it, it's, um, it is a sweet memories to, to cherish for sure, you know? Yeah, and going back to, to the holistic science, right? So, so when yeah, we were talking 1999, so uh, he was, so because we were not on the dopaminergic field, but uh, on the cholinergic field, and then if we have uh, like a, we if we knock out any of the important genes, the uh, the animal would not survive. He said, well. Why don't you think about doing a, a, a conditional knockout? So that was quite new. And then I was just starting. I said, well, God, it's not that hard. We can uh, start doing it. And then, so that's how we started talking about that. And then we started working on it. And then uh, the thing is, uh, in 2003, when we went to the lab, we went, we went to finalize the, the, the animal. And then we figured out that there was something wrong with the mouth. The mouth was still okay, and that we've been using the mouse up to today, but it was not what we were planning. So it was not going to be a, a, a condition on knockout. It was going to be a knockdown. And he said, well, so just let's fix it. Let's make another one. So, you know, that, that was work because he wanted to go to the end, right? So for him and it doesn't matter it's cholinergic it's like a receptors anything he wanted to to go to the end and he he was always to help it was fantastic yeah i was thinking about um again i i think that what he gave us because he had so many trainees was he he gave science this approach of you know thinking about science um where you're not afraid to go to a new model if you need to go to a new model i mean he he decided to start doing zebrafish you know which it's really hard to go to a new model once you're really good at one um, to to switch uh you know i also think about how so i think he trained he he trained a lot of people with a good way of, of approaching science i think that makes a, a huge impact and i think about how he really put the science first and ego second um and it, you know it was Absolutely. really not about what kind of um paper it was going to be it was it was just really um, he, I think he had a good nose for what was a good story. Um, he let people pursue things, um, you, you know, so I think he gave a lot of room to move into other fields. He wasn't afraid if that took him into an area where he wasn't necessarily the expert. Um, and I, I mean, I love that he was so humble. I, you know, he, he really was very humble and he, about all of his accomplishments and and I think he um I think he he taught me that the science comes first and it really doesn't matter and nothing else really matters it's it's you know are you doing the science are you doing the science that you want to do 
answering the questions that you want to answer in the right way. Um, so I, I really thank him for that. It's good to remember in, in the very competitive profession, you know, <laughs> to take your ego out of it. <laughs> Being humble, I, it just reminds me a story. Um, you know, one of the people that collaborated with Mark was, uh, Rui Costa, who is now the, the director of the Allen Brain Institute. And that somewhat started when I, I, you know, I sort of visited the lab that he was and talked a little bit. And I was talking to uh, uh, Miguel Nicolales at the time. I said, you know, it's, it's interesting. You guys are doing all these recordings. And, you know, Mark next door has all these mice. And, and then Rui came to me afterwards. I said, you know, this was great because I've been telling Miguel all the time about this. And, you know, we got to see Mark and then we got to see Mark the next day. And it's kind of weird because, you know, I I, I think Rui was renting an, a, a, a house or an apartment for Mark. And one of the stories that he told me is that, you know, they were a bit lazy with uh, cutting the grass. <laughs> and he then says, you know, and then one day I sat there, I wake up and Mark Caron is mowing my law. <laughs> that's that's the thing right not just you know do, do, because i i mean we we can't forget that one thing that Marx loved was to work really to do the hard work you know either raising cows or you know i always talk to him and it's like you know how many trees did you did you remove this this month and and, and so so that's the story that i you know you said about humble humble and, and you know here's the one of the most famous scientists in, in a lifetime Mowing your lawn <laughs> because it didn't do it. I think, Marco, I think that segues us to maybe a, a, a next prompt question. Um, and so I'm going to go ahead and answer for, for my answer. But the, the question is to name a top quality, you know, an, an adjective um, that, that you feel, you know, made Mark successful. And I know that you all have been touching on this, but the one that I choose, um, Marco, is, is the work ethic, you know. And, and as his children, you can imagine what it was like on the weekends, you know, doing yard work. Um, and, and so, you know, you've seen this. And, and sometimes we were amazed at, and what in wonderment of how it might have worked in the laboratory, because, you know, dad was always the one raking, blowing, chopping, whatever. You know, he was a true lumberjack. Absolutely. He, yeah. yeah. I, you know, grew up on a, a lumber farm in, in northern Quebec, yeah. a maple syrup yeah. farm. And so. Um, you know, our weekends were picking up sticks and watching him, you know, do it the right way, right? So he would teach us how to work the right way, um, and, and which meant watching him, uh, you know, sweat through lots of uh, headbands and things. And um, But this work ethic, you know, is is something that is, I, I think, when done positively um, and, and with pride, is something that is very contagious, you know, and, and so you you just kind of see the joy in, in the hard work and um, you think, wow, I, you know, could, could I have that? Could I have that level of, of work ethic and drive and passion? And so, um, you know, that, that from, a, from a family perspective and also a scientist perspective, I think um, one of his greatest qualities was this remarkable work ethic that he had. So again, the, the prompt is quality. Yeah, a quality that, that he had that made him successful. Yeah. So uh, this is Brian. Uh, I would say the one quality for me is he was optimistic. Um, so uh, second, 
what yeah yeah i mean he no matter how things were going uh so we had a big a big program project together and he was always optimistic basically um despite i would say everything <laughs> and and sort of related to this i just want to give a little anecdote so he and i were uh, on this editorial board together uh, that we would meet uh, once a week. Uh, Kathy, Kathleen was on this as well, Journal of Clinical Investigation. So we would meet every week. We had a physical meeting to discuss papers. And uh, Mark was, you know, Mark was unusual in that he always tried to find something positive about the papers. Um, and whereas I would always try to find something negative. So we sort of, I guess we would sort of balance each other out um, but he was always, you know, if he decided to discuss a paper, he was he was optimistic about it, and he would he would defend it pretty vigorously, actually. Um, and I, I think ninety nine times out of a hundred, we would all defer to him. Um, and sort of related to that, occasionally there would be uh, things that we would review that would be somewhat controversial. Um, and I, I tended to shy away from those sorts of things that were you know, controversial in the GPCR field. But Mark always used to say that, and I, I don't know if he shared this with his trainees at all, but he, he always felt that an experiment was always true, basically. Mm -hmm. If you did the experiment right, it was true. And um, you needed to trust those results. And he also, he also felt that there was, you know, if there was something out there in the literature, that it couldn't be completely wrong basically that there had to be some some kernel of truth to that to that thing and and he would try to focus on you know if it was true what would be the implications of that and um that was that was pretty liberating to me because i was always looking what's wrong with basically what's wrong with this paper let's you know take care of this as soon as possible um and uh, you know, very unusual. I, I think Kathleen would 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 probably second that. Um, very, you know, I never saw him get upset about a paper. <laughs> never raised his voice um, when he was disagree. When he would disagree, he wouldn't be disagreeable. Basically, um, just just a wonderful, wonderful person to to work with. Yeah, if you were the author and had him as your handling editor, you were in luck. <laughs> yes, you were in luck. If you, you had knew me, that you were not in luck. <laughs> <laughs> Any other? I find it hard. I find it hard to find one word to describe Mark. I I like to suggest merging two words for me: is uh, generosity and kindness. If we can find a word that put those two together, uh, it, it would be to me what is really, um, you know, a, love, a, lovely, a loving person to, to interact with. Yeah, I, I agree with what's been said. I also would offer relatable, approachable. And I think that, the, you know, his stature and all that his work was and, and what a star in the field. And yet, as you've said, anyone could have his ear. He would talk with anyone he would discuss. And um, yeah. 
about the work ethic, I, I just wanted to say that Mark um, also led by example. Every day in the lab, I don't know, 8.39. Every day leaving, I'm going to say 6.30, there's a debate around the time, but he would go home for dinner every day. And he would be there on Saturday. And And Laura knows the term she put it and we all know the term but what i would say is that there would be times where uh, the trainees in the lab we would you know start coming at like 9 15 9 30 9 45 and then every now and again he would say guys you know you gotta be here you gotta do the you know so he had some expectation for for the work ethic and and he led by example you know, this is important. Never, you know, mean spirited, but you know, setting some boundaries and, and expectations. And 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 the other thing that you know, such a scientist is like, and he said, "You're here for yourself. Remember that, right? It's not. It's for the science and for your own future, right? It's your life. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and then the whole, you know, generosity and all of that stuff. The, the, the I, I do believe again, my my holistic comment about science is. You know, I came from a lab where we had a technique, the bread technique, right? And, you know, I came to Mark and I said, hey, we should do bread immediately. Sure, let's do this. What do you need? We need to buy a machine. Go for it. Test the machine. Buy it. You know, no no inhibition, no barriers. You know, the idea is that this is going to be good. We're going to do some good science with this. And so bread has been going on and papers and science have been produced ever since then, right? For For one of my papers... We were talking, he said, you know what, we should do electron microscopy. I'm like, okay, uh, well, I'm not sure how we're going to do this. He's like, yeah, let me pick up the phone, call this person who's an electron microscopy expert. Calls this person and boom, we've got electron microscopy. That, that is the love of science and the discovery, right? So it was, you know, contagious. Um, there is a, like... For those of us who left, Kafui, not you, you stayed, so you enjoyed it. But for those of us who left, we had some kind of a withdrawal, you know? It, it's hard. You know, Lauren is going through this as a, as a junior PI. It's, it's not the same. I want to do all of this stuff, but it's not as easy. It's not trivial, you know? So, and, and it was great that he would catalyze it. You know, he would make it go, right? And for those that trained with him and actually did experiments with him, even better because if he was raking leaves and cutting wood you can imagine you know i don't know if he was cooking or not but if he was cooking he would probably be a great chef so he wasn't that's the only thing he didn't do so he left up to someone else okay but he i suspect he would have been a great chef you know that's my suspicion. well but pauline cooked so well that uh, he couldn't have like he couldn't do it right <laughs> but on the other hand have you seen the the that he built for the kids it was it, it was the most beautiful thing i've ever seen you know even had a second floor with a beautiful set of stairs and amazing so everything that he did was fantastic he, he was not scared of sponges on anything you know like his science his life and 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 the way he always treated family. So, so he was always working on weekends. It was not hard, not easy on the family. And poor Pauline had to be, you know, by herself a, a lot of times, right? And I, I bet it was not easy on her and uh, on you guys as well, right, Kathleen? But then, uh, so, so, but then you get to see how passionate 
he was. And then the thing is, he, even he was traveling, he was always talking about you. So everybody that knew him knew about you because, you know, he would be talking about you. So I remember going, like, looking for presents for Pauline and because he wasn't a specific thing. He said, well, I know this is going to look great on her, so I want to find it. And then we tried a lot and we couldn't find it, actually. But then, so, so uh, even though he was not there, you guys were always with him. <laughs> Thank you for that. Anyone else wants to chime in on any qualities? before we move on to the next related question. I think I could just add like, yes, to the generosity. Yes, to being so humble. Yes, to the work ethic. And in case we haven't always said it, it just, it felt like that work was being done with joy. By the time I was in the lab, the Friday, end of the day, you know, have a great weekend. See you tomorrow was kind of a joke. We still said it every Friday, but we weren't always there Saturday morning. With operant behavior, sometimes we had to be. But he often said, like, I have the best job in the world. This is the best job in the world. And that really struck me to see someone who is truly having the opportunity to live their passion was really powerful. And it was contagious. Thank you, Lauren. Kathleen, you want to guide us into the next? Yeah, so the next question related, but, you know, it, it chime in um, with additional uh, stories that would be um, to think specifically of um, lessons that you might have learned from Mark um, that you take with you. And I, I know we, we've sort of been talking about these things, but if there's um, folks who haven't had the opportunity to chime in lessons that you learned from him that you take forward in your success. You know, if I could just jump in, one of the lessons that I learned, and I wish I could remember the exact words that he said. Um, he said it when he was telling me, this is what I teach my undergraduate students when I'm teaching them about, you know, receptors, is that once a receptor is used for one thing, nature can take that and use it for something else. And, and that, you know, basically nature uses these, um, you know, fundamental building blocks and then tweaks it and uses it for something else. And, and so that's really, that really stuck with me because I work with the NMDA receptor and glutamate is, is a kind of universal signaling molecule. And, and, you know, you think about, okay, this receptor, maybe it was, maybe it was something else in bacteria before it was something in neurons. It was something in bacteria. It's something in, you know, maybe even mitochondria. So thinking about like, oh, it's doing more than just two neurons talking to each other. Um, I think, I think that that helps me to keep my mind open. So I think, you know, I think that he was very open-minded, but that, that was what, what the one lesson that I, I think I have used in my own science the most. Thanks, Amy. That's really great. I, can I say something about that? Um, I think one of the things that Mark taught me uh, was the, uh, the, the interplay between technological innovations 
and conceptual breakthroughs. Uh, and I, I, you really can't have one without the other. And I think, um, you know, Mark's legacy goes far beyond those who knew him in the lab. Uh, and so much of what we know conceptually about GPCRs, uh, their sequence, their structure, their pharmacology, their function, uh, it really has its origins. Uh, the way we study receptors today it can be traced back directly to uh, innovations, technological innovations that Mark pioneered, uh, particularly early in his careers. In his career, um, and we take these technologies for granted, but but they were really groundbreaking when when they happened. And these were things that Mark invented. And I'm going to mention three. Um, number one, if you want to measure GPCRs. Uh, today, we do it by radioligand binding assays. I mean, that's routine. But that technology didn't exist until the mid-70s, and Mark invented that technology. He developed the first radioligand uh, tritiated alprenolol to quantify adrenergic receptors. And without that, there's no way to measure these things. Um, so that's a technological breakthrough that led to conceptual breakthroughs. Uh, second, um, Mark was the first to successfully extract GPCRs out of cells using detergent. And again, it sounds trivial now, but before you can study it or before you can purify it, you have to get it in a form that where you can solubilize it and, and where you can actually measure its, its function. And Mark found the, the one detergent in the Sigma catalog that was compatible with receptor ligand interaction, and it was an obscure one, is digitonin. Uh, but that's something that Mark did. And then the third one, which I think is also incredibly amazing, is affinity chromatography. Um, nowadays, we're used to, you know, MIC tagging proteins and flag tagging proteins, but those are uh, variants on affinity chromatography. And um, the first GPCR to purify, the GPCR to be purified was the beta-2 adrenergic receptor. And that, to get that out of cells, they're incredibly rare. You have to purify the protein 100,000 fold. And the only way you're going to do that is with affinity chromatography. And there was no MIC tagging or flag tagging in those days. And Mark managed to fuse alprenolol to sephiros and uh, allowed us for the first time to purify a GPCR in a form that was functional. Um, so these are like three really, really important technological innovations invented by Mark that led to many of the conceptual breakthroughs that we take, advantage, uh, take, take, uh, take for granted uh, now in the field. Um, and I just, I was thinking about, Brian, you said Mark told you to publish in more prestigious journals. And I just, as an aside, those three innovations, radioligand binding, uh, detergent solubilization, and affinity chromatography, they were published in BBRC, JBC, and JBC. So there are some pretty important papers in those uh, less prestigious journals. Um, but uh, I'm not going to argue with you. It is better to, uh, to publish in the top journals. Thank you, Henrik, for that. Oh, uh, Marco, so oh, please. I, I don't know if it's better to publish in single name journals or not. Um, you know, but it was just, it was literally the first thing he said to me. <laughs> <laughs> it was good advice. It was good advice. It took me another decade before I had a science <clears throat> paper. Um, so, so, um, yeah, I think, you know, his scientific contributions are immense. Um, cannot, you know, there's no other way to say it. 
um, virtually everything that uh, is going on in my lab uh, today and what we plan to do in the future is inspired by what he did. Uh, and, um, you know, the field, the field would not be where it is today without his, his tremendous work. Um, the only, I would say the only sad thing is that I don't think he was recognized for a lot of his contributions during his, his lifetime, uh, in the way he, he could have been. Um, I, I nominated him for many things, some of which he got. Uh, I wish I could have nominated him for more uh, major awards. Um, but uh, you know, it's 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 really been inspiring to me to see all the trainees and really the fond memories that the trainees have of being in his lab. I think if if you were to ask people in my lab if they had any fond memories, it would probably be when I'm gone there, they have a fond memory. <laughs> I never, I never would have mowed their lawn. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't celebrate holidays. Um, so Christmas, you know, Christmas isn't, isn't a thing for me, but, I can't imagine under any under any circumstances where my wife would allow me to go to the airport and pick some people up, pick up pick them up at the, and then then find a a, a place for them to stay. Uh, usually, uh, she's like, uh, "So, are they settled in?" <laughs> I mean, this is this is unbelievable. I I. I don't know of any other mentor that that you know has bent over backwards to to make people so welcome in his lab in that way. I mean, I I've never had that experience. I I've never heard of it before, and uh, truly truly remarkable. Thank you, Brian Marco. Without really wanting to put you on the spot, but you put a comment in the chat about a famous bottle of Digitonin. Would you please elaborate on that? Uh, oh, no, I think there was a story that uh, I think that he had this, I think Ali may know this better than me, but he had a bottle of uh, uh, this detergent that he, he thought was really special. And, and nobody actually, it, it wasn't in the really stored this probably in a safe somewhere <laughs> i think he kept in the safe in his office in his office, in his office, in his yeah. office literally because he was yes. it was that specific lot that that he thought was quite quite good because of the sort of quality control they had at the time so we heard it's that, like that good, story it's like a good vintage of wine you know the, yeah. the, the whatever the, the the 1996 vintage or something yeah um just to say quickly about what brian said um, you know, we talk about the Caron family, right? So, of course, it's the nuclear family, you know, um, Melissa, Kathleen, Nelson, but the, the trainees, we talk about the Caron family. And we are, a lot of us are still in touch, very much so. And, of course, the influence on Canada, and uh, it, it's even bigger, right, because of the French-Canadian connection, so there's always been like extra number of French speakers and people from France or Canada. So 
in Canada, there is a bunch of us from East Coast, less on the West Coast, but mostly on the East Coast of Canada. There's a concentration of the Quran family people. And, and it's um, because that's what it was. We were there and there was this sense of support, right? I got in the lab. I didn't know how to do stuff. I didn't know how to do animal work. He paired me up. We had small group meetings. People were training me. Other postdocs were training me. And I was training other postdocs because I, I was training in stuff that I, and he would put people together. He's like, man, go work with this person. They'll show you how to do this. And you you build relationships, you know. Um, it was amazing. It, it's, you know, it, it, for all of us, we've had different moments in our lives that have been, you know, important and life-changing. My time in Mark Rons, that was life-changing. You know, that's as simple as it is, you know. Thank you, Ali. It's a great segment. Yeah, there, there, there were some other additional contributions, I think, that, you know, should be noted. Uh, one was, is that he really took GPCRs to uh, a cell biological uh, perspective in terms of trafficking and the different proteins that were involved in uh, downregulation and desensitization. And, and I think that was a really important contribution, which sometimes, shall I say, gets overshadowed. Uh, a second point is, is that he was really one of the first people to really go after functional selectivity in vivo. And, you know, that was with Lauren Bar Laura Bond's paper. And, you know, from that actually came about then working with Brian and uh, working with functional selectivity and developing uh, compounds then that would be able to have different effects uh, on uh, behavior and on pharmacological responses. And then finally, you know, while we have spent a lot of time talking about GPCRs, it's like his cloning and knocking out of the dopamine transporter really changed the field of, of dopamine uh, neurotransmission and the things then that you could do to really be able to study it and to be able to uh, be able to examine the functional consequences that occurred. And so I just wanted to oh, highlight these additional areas. So, Bill. Um, I would say that there's no one today that does uh, GPCR research the way Mark did. Yeah, you know he he had a basically <laughs> a unique vision and unique resources, um, and there's no one in the field that that uh, you know can even approach what what he did. Uh, it's it's a huge loss. Uh, to the scientific community. Okay. So I'm looking at our time and looking at a couple more prompts that we have um, that Yamina has prepared for us. They're really great. Thank you, Yamina. Um, let's um, pivot a little bit to, we've talked a little bit about um, influence on, on mentoring and, and junior scientists, but you know, as, as junior scientists, like graduate students and undergraduate students who are considering a career in science might listen to this podcast, um, what what should they know about um, Mark and uh, his influence? What what would be the, the gems that you would want to pass on to junior scientists? Laura? I'll, I'll comment because I remember when I was thinking about starting to look for my faculty position, I, I went to talk to Mark to say, what do you look for? What are you looking for in faculty applicants? And 
you know, and I don't have a, a, a specific technique. Like I'm not a valuable electrophysiologist. I don't know how to do something really super special. <laughs> I could do radio-like and binding. So maybe that's special, right, Brian? <laughs> but, um, and, you know, he said to me, well, first thing, he handed me a sack of um, applications that he'd been reviewing. <laughs> that he had gotten for faculty applications that I could look at to get an idea of how that went. And then uh, the other thing is he said, it's not about the techniques because techniques will change over time. It's about knowing the right questions and how to ask them and how to approach them to answer them. And I I thought that was really good because, I mean, techniques do change over time. And and as you, you know, for him, techniques never stood in the way, right? He'd get on the phone and find the best to do what he needed to have done. So I thought that was really good advice. It was about being really focused and careful and asking relevant, good questions. We lost somebody. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Any others? What what should junior scientists know about him yeah. or about what I you? Got, I, I would go further on, on uh, what the Laura has said because it's true about him. So, and, and uh, he taught us that as well. And and the important thing is not only well learn how to ask questions and how to answer them the best way, and never be afraid, right? And uh, uh, do your best. So, because for him, so he he always was there hundred percent, and and that's what I mean with the do your best. So so give yourself to it. So I think uh, that's the other thing that uh, it was important for him. Thank you. Anyone else wants to chime in? Maybe I, just uh, oh, yeah, maybe go ahead. Go ahead, Amy. I was just going to relay, um, you know, he, he, he taught me about, um, facing a conflict instead of, um, running away from it. I was having a conflict with someone in the, in the lab. And he said, you know, I think you have a wrong idea about this person. I think they have the wrong idea about you. I want you two to go sit in an office and talk this out. And, I'll pay for your lunch. You know, you can, you can go, go to lunch. I'll pay for the food, but I think that you've got a wrong idea. He's got a wrong idea about you. You just need to talk this through. So I think that, and he was right. And we had that conversation and we, we resolved everything and we had a better, uh, working, you know, working relationship after that. So I, I think that, um, I think that what that lesson would be for a young person is, I guess, just that conflicts happened and, and that you, you face them and you don't make an enemy, you, you know, try to resolve it. And maybe that's why he had no enemies and so many friends. I don't know. <laughs> I was just going to say quickly, just, um, I mean, the questions are are definitely important, but as Hendrik mentioned, Hendrik mentioned, I'm sorry, you know, he also did innovation, technical innovation, not being afraid of doing. Um, you know, I'm gonna, I don't want to put Lauren on on the spot here, but the 
the work that Lauren published, the uh, last paper that she published from Mark's lab, is a heroic effort of self-admin in mice with, you know, that is not easy work. But no fear. Go for it. You know, we'll, we'll do this. We'll, we'll find the resources. This is what we need to answer. Just do it. You know, uh, I came from a biochemistry background, which is a very reductionist approach. And it's, you know, embarrassing to say this out loud, but as an undergrad and a grad student, I was weak in physiology and more or less interested in it. But being in Mark's lab completely changed my mind. It flipped me. I love now the molecular and reductionist, but in his lab, I embraced the physiology and biology. So I learned it as a postdoc, something that I was taught in courses. I had to go back and sort of revisit and understand the importance of this. Almost needed like scientific maturity for me to to embrace that. So, um, but this was Mark's lab, right? So we, we talk about this is that it was from molecules to the animal. There, there are good labs in the world that are doing this right now. And, and it's great to see. But when I was coming through the system, there were maybe a handful of labs that were doing this. And by luck, I, I ended up in Mark's lab. So that opened my brain to the importance of, of both. Because you also have this, you know, people in each section, right? People are like, oh, we got to do physiology. Forget about the molecules. And people that are like, oh, molecules only matter. But the truth is that you need them both, right? It's a continuum. So that's what I would say to trainees. Open your mind. You can love the reductionists, but don't forget about the physiology. If you're a physiologist, don't forget about the reduction. They go hand in hand, you know. Yeah, that goes back to the very first point about a holistic approach. Yeah, I I try to do it too. Um, I guess maybe he rubbed off a little bit on me. <laughs> but yeah, you've known oh. him the longest, so. It is only natural. <laughs> I guess so. Right? In addition to the genetic connection, for sure, but um, that is only natural. I think we we went full circle. If anyone has anything else that they'd like to share around what they learned from Mark by watching him lead by example or from his teachings that you think might be useful for junior scientists who want to contribute to science and to the GPCR field and even beyond, please feel free to turn on your mic. So I, I, I was never his student or postdoc. Um, I was more a collaborator, but I'm very intrigued with this idea of asking the right questions. Um, and I wonder, so it's something I struggle to do still, uh, is try to find a, a question that's you know worth spending my time my time and the time of the folks in my lab on. Um, how did he how did he convey to you what what would be a good question to ask? I mean, this is this is always the thing that I struggle with. Like, what is a good what is really a good question? I mean, there are things I'm interested in, but nobody else in the world is interested in what what is a good question. So how how would he sort of extract that out of you or encourage you to to think about what is what is a good question because to me that's that's the big challenge as a scientist is is try to find you know some some question that will lead to some sort of fundamental truth hopefully can i interject just quickly 
um, sorry, I don't want to hog the talk conversation. Quick comment that I would say is that Mark will come with a good question, but he would also be open and listen. This is the strength. It was a dialogue, right? So he would say, I think you should work on this. So you start working on this, you start reading, you come up, and then I would go to him and like, you know, we should look at this too. It's like, I'm, I'm not sure. So, you know, convince me. And then I, I you know, you prompt, you prompt. And then you, he's like, okay, wait a minute. This is good. So let's get some other people brain power. So it was definitely everybody had a project to start with. But the end was not necessarily a straight line. We would start with a project. And along the way, you're like, you know what? I think we should do this too. And he would very rarely put a break and put a wall in front of ideas and movement. You know, he would be like, go for it. Do enough to convince me. And if not, kill it if it doesn't work. That's what I thought brought the science to the next levels. And I, when I was in the lab, I saw this with people constantly. Because it was a postdoc heavy lab. People were trained. People were excited. People were driven. So he had good people. The other thing is that he had diverse, good people in the lab with different expertise. And he would leave them alone as long as they also did the, the, the important stuff that he wanted to do. And then he would elevate the stuff that we were doing. So I went to him. I said, I, I, somebody told me you should pursue dopamine toxicity idea. He said, this is really cool. Let's call Gary Miller. He can be your collaborator, co-mentor for this. That's how you know I develop into something completely different for me. It's, that's my comment. Thank you. Yeah, I seem to remember it was it was a lot of a lot of things happened in the process of a lab meeting, um, and you know him reflecting, um, talking out loud, thinking about things that he'd seen at a meeting, bringing that in. Oh, you know, this makes me think of this, and so I think maybe you know all of the travel that he did, all of the people that he talked to. I think he you know, he definitely had his finger on the pulse of science, you know, he was really, really involved. So I, I think maybe it was that combination of knowing everything that was going on in the field. And then maybe as, as Ali said, you know, listening to people building, you know, doing that kind of brainstorming. I, I feel like that happened with at lab meetings pretty regularly. That was when I saw it. You know, Amy, when you say that, it makes me reflect. Uh, there, there were a few instances where uh, Dad and I were at the same conference. One was in Japan at the International Endocrine Society meeting. And then there were a few little GPCR retreats where, where the organizers, I don't know if it was one of you, um, cheekily put both of us in the same session, even though I have nothing to do with neuropharmacology. And there were bets on who would give a better talk. So, you know, it was it was fun. <laughs> but but in the, the few conferences where I where I was able to observe, you know, as, as a conference attendee, you know, my father, um, something really struck me. I really I, I and I was an assistant professor, so you know, just learning he would always sit in the first or second row. And, you know, he had a notebook and he would ask questions. And 
this was so surprising to me because my impression of the big famous people is that they always sit in the back, you know, and they have their computer on or their cell phone or they're kind of walking around and, and they're in the back and they're, or, in, you know, off to the side and they're walking out in the middle of the talk. But he was always in the front row. And, and I, you know, that, so, you know, now I go to conferences and I sit in the front row. <laughs> but it, but I think that that's, um, to your point, Amy, like it, it makes a difference, you know, and you tell your kids, well, sit in the front of the classroom, right? But when you, when you engage with the speaker and you're there and you're present and you can't focus on anything else other than science, I do think you draw, you know, really important information and, um, and, and I, I think he was definitely doing that, you know, and then coming back to lab with ideas. So I, I try to do it as well. I don't sit in the back. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kathleen. I think the way you've been talking about, you know, how these ideas were, were you know, there was always an idea that came and then through conversations, these ideas evolved into different projects. It seems what I, what I hear is that this was an iterative process that went through multiple peer reviews, multiple lab reviews, and then ended up into all of these questions. But it was through that collaboration, through those discussions with everyone and being the humble person that he was, he he talked to everyone and anyone who can add in and weigh in on something they read, something they heard about. And I think that is phenomenal. Um, and that's what led to all of these different projects and let all the trainees go into all of these different directions yeah I think I think uh, Mark gave us a lot of freedom you know and you were free to in, the lab was very well funded and so there weren't a lot of restrictions as oh we can't buy 20 mice or whatever the case was but um, he, he wasn't going to tell you no but he would ask you is that really what you want to spend your time on? And if you were smart enough to listen to that <laughs> and really give it that second, like, do I really want to do that? Do, do I really want to know that? I think you you benefited the most. Um, but he was not one to say you can't do that, you know. So I think he shared that responsibility with us that we <laughs> asked that question. Thank you, Laura. I think we, we really went around all of the questions that I had. If there's anyone who would like to add anything um, to, to these stories, I think the bottle of Digitonin and the safe in the office, I think is, uh, I wish we could have a picture of it somewhere, Ali. <laughs> Maybe at some point uh, you had taken a picture of it. But with this, Kathleen, I want to let you say some final words before I close in tonight's session. Yep. Amy, you had your oh, hand up. Yeah, I think Henrik and, and I both want to say something. What I wanted to say was, you know, and I'm sure, Laura, you remember this as well. We were at a meeting with Mark and Sarah Jones was there and we were all sitting at a table together. And he said, isn't this fun? He says, you know what? You guys should all come and do a sabbatical at the same time. And, you know, I'm just so sad that we can't do that. Like I... I really, I really miss him. And I'm so, uh, you know, I miss him so much. And I am regret that I could not have that, you know, go back and, and have that time with, with you all again. It's so good to see you. It's so good to see you all. 
that's all I wanted to say. <laughs> uh, I, I think I wanted to share, um, well, I wanted to share a little anecdote and, and an observation. Um, we, we talked a lot about Mark's optimism and Mark's uh, fearlessness. And I, I was just, I was reminded of, of an anecdote when I was a grad student. I was, uh, I woke up, I woke up late. I was running late. It was lab meeting day. Um, I was running late for lab meeting and I knew I was running out of gas and I decided to go for it. That was Mark's optimism talking. I ran out of gas and I limped over to the side of uh, Cameron Boulevard near the Duke campus. And I knew I was going to be late for sure. And, and out of desperation, I got out of my car and I stuck my thumb out and who should pull over, but Mark Carone. And I don't think he realized it was me at first. That was Mark being fearless. Anyway, we made it, we made it to lab. We made it to lab together, uh, lab meeting together. Um, the other thing I just, I just made an observation that many of us are, are, have been talking about Mark in the present tense. And I think that's a reflection of how his presence and his influence is still very much with us. Um, and it's very much appreciated. And with these words, thank you, everyone. Kathleen, maybe you want to say a couple of closing remarks. Oh, Brian, you had something too. Oh, we were just waiting. I, just, before, just before Kathleen, I just want to uh, say one last thing too. Uh, I actually want to thank Kathleen and her family for sharing Mark with us because, you know, like Vanessa said, I, we know how much she uh, took away from family time to make that environment, right? You know, we, we all, you know, we're all people that have their own labs. We know how much dedication you have to that. To have a mid-sized lab going all the time, and imagine when you have 20, 30 people there, and and most of the salaries depend on you. So, so I really want to uh, express our thanks to you, Melissa and Nelson, and, and and your families, and 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 you know the kids for sharing Mark with us over the years, over the parties, over Christmas, Thanksgivings, and that we all at one time or another participate with your family. Those are memories that we also love. Monster parties and Halloween parties and yeah. That's right. You know, we look at it that you all are our extended family, you know, and we just, we knew how happy dad was with you all. And, you know, and and by extension, so were we, right? So it's a wonderful, it was a wonderful way to grow up. I I wouldn't change a thing. Okay, well, on that, uh, I just want to close by saying thank you all. Uh, I mean, I look at the caliber of scientists on this call and know how busy everyone is, and and it's late in the evening before the holidays. Um, So thank you. You know, thank you for your warmth and your compassion and sharing these wonderful anecdotes, funny, heartwarming, insightful, um, and it just means the world to me and and my sister and my brother, and we really want to. Thank you, the, the three of us. Thank you so much. And Yamina, thank you for organizing all of this. Thank you, Kathleen. Thank you, everyone, for being here tonight. I really appreciate it. If and I'm going to stop recording now. Before I do so, I want to wish you happy holidays, happy new year, and um, we will see you all next year. Thank you for joining us and listening to this very special Dr. GPCR podcast episode. We would like to thank our guests, my co-host, Dr. Kathleen Caron, 
and our Dr. GPCR team members, Attila Forrest, Ines Pinero, and Monsera Avila Zuzoya. A huge thank you to our ecosystem partners for their support, namely Domain Therapeutics, GPCR Therapeutics, Design Pharmaceuticals, Montana Molecular, and Orion Biotechnology. You can connect with our partners directly in the ecosystem. Join us today at drgpcr.com ecosystem. You can also sub subscribe to the Dr. GPCR newsletter. Find us on YouTube. And if you like our podcast, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Another great way to support us is to share your favorite Dr. GPCR program with your network and colleagues. Email us with any questions or suggestions at hello at drgpcr.com. And until next time, stay safe. Mm -hmm.